Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Brett McKay here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Influence comes down to a person's level of authority. When someone is perceived as having power, status, and worth, others readily follow them and comply with them. Authority isn't just a matter of position, though. It's also a personal quality. When people attempt to develop their influence or authority, they tend to focus on learning social skills and changing their behaviors around speech and body language. But my guest would say that authority isn't about what you learn, but who you are. And that once you establish the right lifestyle and mindset, influential behaviors will emerge as a natural byproduct. Chase Hughes is a behavioral analyst who trains both military operatives and civilians. Today on the show, Chase unpacks the five factors that measure someone's level of authority and produce composure, a state which resides between posturing and collapse. We talk about how so much of authority comes down to having your stuff together, why you should become your own butler, and what Andy Griffith has to teach about leadership. We also talk about the things that kill your authority and how not to be influenced by false authority. After the show's over, check out our show notes at awim.is slash authority. All right, Chase Hughes, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for having me, man. So you are a behavioral analyst, and you train military and law enforcement on how to read people and gather human intelligence. So they might be using this stuff in interrogations, interviews, things like that. How did you get into this line of work? I did 20 years in the military, and I joined when I was 17 years old. And I was stationed in Pearl Harbor. Long story short, I was out in in Waikiki Beach one evening, and I was talking to this young lady who I thought was just super into me. And uh, essentially, I asked her out, and she basically turned me down really hard. And I went home that night, and I typed, how to tell when girls like you into the internet. And I remember just printing off this massive stack of body language articles and stuff. And I, I just went down this rabbit hole for like a year and then while I was getting good at this, one of my best friends, his name is Craig Weberly, died in the USS Cole terrorist attack. And I was reading these intelligence reports that all the failures that led up to this, this happening was just a, a training, intelligence operative training that they couldn't get people in the region to provide intel and stuff. So I just dedicated the rest of my career to making this stuff possible for intelligence operatives to be able to gain rapport and really build up a relationship with these people where they can get intelligence faster. So you went from pickup artistry to helping (laughs) 
the military. Right. Uh, I wouldn't call it pickup artistry. I just I just wanted to be good at, enough at body language that I would just know when not to ask, and yeah. I would just avoid rejection, I think. Yeah. Well, so you've written several books where you present the things that you trained in the military and law enforcement in a, a very reader-friendly way. And you've developed these, you know, really sophisticated and, you know, that you have like this behavioral table of elements where you can, you know, you analyze body language basically and what that can possibly mean. But one of the factors that you talk about a lot in your books and you hit home hard is one of the key factors in gathering intelligence whether it's from a potential, you know, an enemy combatant, something like that, or if you just want to know if someone is interested in you or you're right. in a, you're making a sales pitch and you want to make sure that you are directing your pitch in a way that it, it resonates with that person. You argue that when it comes to influence, authority is more important than social skills. So what led you to that conclusion? Well, if anybody's ever taken like psych 101 in college, you remember this Milgram experiment. And I'll give you like a 15-second, 20-second recap of this thing. So essentially, they got volunteers for this experiment, and they were told they met this person, and they you're going to give them a quiz. And every time they get an answer wrong, you're going to shock them with this electrical shocking machine. And with each wrong question, you're going to increase the voltage. And it gets worse. I'm not going to go into all the details, but it's it was pretty bad. Like 67% of people went all the way to maximum voltage, even when the person on the other side of the room that was being quote unquote shocked, even though they weren't, was, was screaming and begging to stop the experiment, saying they had heart problems and all this. And there's hundreds of other psychology experiments like this, but just looking at this, there's no secret technique that was used. There's no like oh, they use some covert language trick or some secret rapport building technique or any of this. It's just authority made that happen. And if authority can do that, you know, almost on its own with no like secret linguistics or any of those tricks or anything like that or sales tactics, that seems to be the number one place that we need to focus. If we're starting to learn persuasion or influence or any of that, authority is just so, so important because it can make extreme things happen. Well, yeah, some of the other studies you highlight besides the Milgram study is that researchers have done studies on jaywalking. What, what was going on there? Uh, so that, I think that was called the crosswalk experiment where one person essentially just, he, it's a dude wearing like jeans and a t-shirt and he walks across the street when he's not supposed to, when the sign says, don't do it. And then the same dude goes up and puts on like a suit and tie and they cut his hair and stuff. And it increases the amount of people who will follow him across the intersection by like 88% just because of a shift in clothing. And that's a good estimate. Just our understanding of authority is not all about just and real authority. It's about perceived authority as much as it is about just having genuine authority. And why are we so keyed on individuals with authority? Like, why do we tend to follow them? So our ancestors left all kinds of stuff in our bodies to survive. That's why we have a fight or flight response and all kinds of just pre-programmed responses, even facial expressions. We're born with facial expressions like anger and sadness and happiness and fear. So our ancestors also left everything that helped them to survive. So the DNA, let's say like 100,000 years ago, if our ancestors are learning lessons that help them to survive, their DNA essentially says, okay, I'm going to hardwire this so I can pass it down. So 
obeying authority and being obedient towards a perceived authority was probably one of, if not the most important thing for tribal function. And when humans are in tribes, and if they don't obey the tribal leader, they might get killed. They don't get protection. They get less access to resources. They get disliked by the rest of their tribe because the leader doesn't like them. It's tremendous. Like it's, it's the bottom second row and third row of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like all the stuff we need to survive can essentially stem from our relationship to authority figures. And individuals who are highly persuasive, whether they're, you know, people who, you know, good salesmen, for example, good politicians, but also you could be like con artists. They understand this probably intuitively, correct? I definitely think so. Like a good example would be like a, a let's say a, a dangerous cult is out there and they're recruiting people into this weird cult. And how can like a socially intelligent CEO, for example, get talked into joining this weird cult. And just trying to figure that out is this mammalian, this almost animal response that's programmed into our brain to be responsive towards this confidence and charisma and authority. And it just says, you need to trust this person and go along with what they say. And that's an unconscious process. We're not sitting there with a checklist or grocery list, like checking off everything as the person displays behaviors. Like it's an unconscious list, which we'll get into a little bit later for sure. So yeah, the big takeaway that I think we're trying to get at, what I want to frame the rest of our conversation around is I think a lot of times when people think about social skills or being more persuasive or, you know, being good with women, like knowing how to interact with women, they think about all these little like hacks, like things you could say. They think about the specific body language they should use. And you're arguing like that's probably icing on the cake. What you should really spend most of your time focusing on is developing that perception of authority. Yes. So just just getting to the point where the display of those behaviors is a byproduct of who you are, not what you've learned. Gotcha. And so we've been talking about authority. Like, how are you defining authority? I mean, is it a matter of position? Can you have authority and not be in a position of authority? Is it charisma? How are you defining authority? Well, in my training, I tend to use five factors to measure a person's level of authority. And I even have an assessment that if you want to throw it in the show notes, you're more than welcome to. And it can essentially assess someone's level of authority using these five factors. And those are confidence, discipline, leadership, gratitude, and enjoyment. And once those all combine, it leads to authority, but it produces a behavior that I call composure. And then a person can essentially rate themselves like, you know, like at the end of every day in their journal or whatever on this composure scale and on those five factors. And the more often they're doing that, the more that's being brought into awareness. And with composure, and we tend to look at composure as a pendulum, so where the center would be composure and the left side would be collapse. Maybe the right side would be posturing. And that's what we call those two far ends of that pendulum when we fall out of composures. So we fall one way, it's into collapsing. And we fall the other way, it's into posturing and over-posturing behaviors. And uh, can composure be situational? Like in some situations, you have more composure and therefore more authority, and then other situations, not so much? It can. And I think the more that somebody is able to bring this into everyday life, and this is one of the things I, I talk about a lot in, in my trainings is, are you able to do this off camera? Like when no one's looking, are you still a leader? Are you still 
a role model, when the cameras are off, no one's looking, do you still exhibit those behaviors? And the more you get into that sort of lifestyle, the less situations will matter when it comes to authority, I think. So what you're saying is, if you develop these five factors, which we're going to talk about, as a consequence of that, you will start displaying behaviors that other people will see and perceive as you having authority. Is that the idea? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, when we're looking at people and we're sizing people up of whether they have composure and authority, what are we looking at? Like what factors, what cues are we homing in on to say, yeah, this guy, this guy's got it together. So our brains will typically, and this is very much an unconscious process, but our brains go through a five stage process, I would say. So our brains are analyzing another person's movement, and it goes in this order. As far as I can tell, I've done about 20,000 hours of research on this. Movement first, then appearance, then confidence. And this is essentially when our brains are looking for confidence on a subconscious level. What that means is we're looking for a lack of reservation in behavior and movement. And so it's movement, appearance, confidence, connection, Like, are they fully checked in? So just when you think about connection, just think of the way that Bill Clinton looks at people and connects with them when he talks to them. And the final one here is intent. So how am I understanding and processing this other person's intent? And if all five of those line up, the subconscious part of our brain sees that this person is very likely an authority. Gotcha. Anyway, as you're saying, sometimes people want to hack this. And do, yeah. they do the posturing. So they, they probably read some sort of research where, well, people with big body language, who take up a lot of space, they're perceived as having more authority. So they start doing that. Right. Um, but it just right. comes off as phony baloney. It really does. And it, I think one of the reasons that this is common is I think there's a problem in like learning new behaviors where people focus on symptoms and they ignore causes. So let me just look at the symptoms of rich people. For example, if I want to make money, I'm going to look at the symptoms of rich people. Okay, they have a big house. That's what I need. Then they have an expensive car. That's what I need. But they're not looking at causes. So when I'm looking at, like, I take up a lot of space, my voice is crystal clear, there's two things that really happen. Number one, the person's focusing on symptoms instead of the cause of those behaviors. And number two, the, the biggest disaster of all time when it comes down to authority and like actually having real confidence is getting into a mindset where you're worried or thinking, even just thinking about status and hierarchy. The number one thing that I see when I train operatives is as soon as they start worrying or thinking about status and hierarchy, it automatically starts to deteriorate their level of authority and confidence. Yeah, the alpha doesn't think about being alpha. Right. It's not in their, in their head. And I think if you're doing all of the symptom stuff, there's, you're getting into performance mode instead of connection mode. And when I say performance, this is, if you want to just figure out what mode I'm in in a conversation, if you're in performance mode, you're maybe tense or feel pressured. You're observing yourself too much in the conversation. You're analyzing the event afterwards a whole lot. There's not much feeling of connection and it feels like an evaluation from the other person while you're in performance mode because you're performing and the focus is more on yourself. And in connection mode, your focus is on the other person. It feels like a connection. You're feeling good about the event 
without needing to recall all these details. You're feeling relaxed, comfortable, curious about the other person, and just you're really comfortable sharing your own depth of emotion. Yeah, I think we've all encountered the individuals who they're in performance mode, right? If you've been with like a salesperson, I've had this happen to me when I've had, uh, you know, people come out to give me estimates for a new roof or something. And it's interesting to see the different approaches people take. And like one guy, I can tell like, man, you're doing all the tricks and it just, yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's, you have another guy comes in and he's not doing that, but it, you can tell that he's got his stuff together and I actually trust him more. It's so, so true. But I think that some of those things, when somebody gets into performance mode, there's maybe some anxiety there that that this helps them to alleviate anxiety because I'm going to look up these power poses to give me confidence. And I'm going to look up, you know, these articles that are, you know, you've seen them on like LinkedIn and stuff like the 31 body language signs of confident people, which are all, of course, symptoms. But I think those help in the sometimes in the interim with people with anxiety and Anxiety is probably one of the things that keeps people from having confidence and developing authority. And I think anxiety comes from three things very specifically. Number one is a decline in the reputation that you have with yourself. And number two is an inability to recognize what you can and can't control. And number three is unmet expectations or the fear of your expectations being unmet. Those are the three like pillars that I have to get rid of in the operatives that I train. How do those things come about in someone's life? Like, how do they show up? Like, why does that happen to people? I think they just get into this mindset of, I need to manage how I'm being perceived. And they tend to think more about status and hierarchy. And we'll, we'll definitely cover some ways to get over that here in, in a little bit, if you want. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess they're needy, right? They, and they showcase their neediness. And I think everyone's been around a person like, oh, you're just way too needy. Yeah. And if you'll allow me to go back to the pendulum for just a second, and we have composure in the middle, and we have collapse and posturing. Collapse and posturing on these far ends of the pendulum have a lot more in common than people think. They're both trying to get the other person to give something up, whether it's respect, admiration, love, money, whatever it is. Second, their agendas are concealed and hidden from public view. They wear this mask to kind of conceal the collapse or they want to conceal the posturing behavior. And they they both cover up for feelings of a little bit of inadequacy and the feelings of always trying to be tough. And I think they're both incredibly stressful states to live in. And they're kind of rooted in insecurity. And The one big thing that they both have in common is they both believe highly in competition and they kind of live their lives in a competitive instead of a collaborative frame of mind. And then one thing you talk about too is that people with authority or people with that natural influence, they tend to understand that people, most people have that neediness and those unmet desires and they're they're just kind of broken human beings. And because they understand that, that's one of the reasons why they're able to connect with them because they can give that person what they need. It's so, so true. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's dig into these factors that contribute to people perceiving us as someone with authority and, and actually having, it's not just about perceptions, you're actually, you actually have it. And because you actually have it, it naturally comes out in the way you present yourself. Uh, you talk about confidence. How do you define confidence? I would say confidence is, if I could just use one word, it's comfort. It's just comfort. 
It's just giving yourself permission. That's kind of what it is. It's having you, you have got a good reputation with yourself and you're giving yourself permission to do something. And one incredible thing is that if you're displaying super confident behavior to a person that you're just meeting for the first time, they will automatically assume that you've been that way for decades. So you're not just confident in yourself, you're carrying the permission from thousands of other people that you've interacted with. So they're assuming that thousands of other people accepted your confident behavior. So that's a really key point to make that even if it's a one-on-one interaction and you're behaving confidently, that person, if it's, if it's genuine, that person is assuming that it's been this way for years for you. So how do you develop this genuine confidence? I'm sure we could dedicate a whole podcast to this, but you know, generally, what do you tell your operatives? Like, what do they need to start doing in their personal lives to develop this natural confidence that will, that will be displayed naturally when they interact with other people? All right, let me give you, let me see if I could do this like a a two minute summary. So the first thing I want you to start challenging yourself to be slower than anyone else in the room. So just set a speed limit on your body just try it on for a few days of like, I will not move faster than if I was standing in a swimming pool. So this starts reteaching your body to just display the signs of comfort. And second, just having the knowledge that you don't need permission to be confident is so, so critically huge. And keeping track of your own levels of confidence throughout every single day is the way to get that down into the lower parts of the brain. Because just thinking about it stays in the top of the brain. If I can get my lower brain really invested in my confidence. I don't need to, I'm not trying, I'm not talking about setting goals or anything like that. I'm just talking about at the end of every day, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write from one to five or one to 10. How was my confidence today? That's it. Cause it's just like when you're looking for a new car, like on the internet and like watching all the YouTubes and all the videos and stuff about, I'm going to get this new car. Then you buy the car and you start seeing it everywhere. Like I, I just got a Tesla and I'm like, wow, everybody bought Teslas at the same time as me. But that's not true at all, right? So I've just repetitively shown it to my brain so much that now my brain is searching for it. And if you can just set a competition to move slower than the person that you're speaking to and to be more comfortable, that's it. Just start out with those two things. I'm going to be the most comfortable person in this, in this environment. Just comfort, just relaxed, and I'm going to move slower. Those two things are like the, and monitoring, those three things, I would say, are this ultimate gateway to developing confidence the fastest way. Okay, so that's a fast way to do it. But then at the same time, you'll probably want to do things where you're developing that self-regard, right? You're doing things that make you feel competent and confident. So, I mean, it, it can come down to like setting goals and accomplishing them. Just doing those things in your private life will help yes. you develop that confidence for the long term. Absolutely. And just just taking tiny, tiny steps out of your comfort zone when it comes to just talking to other people. And you're essentially teaching the lower part of your brain, like, nope, nothing bad's going to happen. They're not going to like punch me in the face if I start acting confident. There's not going to be like a tiger that jumps out from a closet if I start behaving confidently. You're just slowly, gradually introducing your brain to a little bit more stressful or slightly stressful situations. And over time, and I'm talking like just over like 
maybe 15 days, the confidence starts building itself and you get more and more permission. And you'll notice, like, as a person becomes more and more confident, you can see that they're just giving themselves more permission. Yeah, so it's the ability, sort of that long-term, long-lasting confidence is the ability to handle uncertainty, no matter what's thrown at you. And I think that's why you can tell some people, like, that guy's streetwise. And it's probably because they grew up in the school of hard knocks, and they've had to deal with uncertainty over and over and over again. And because of that, they have the confidence, like, in any situation, like, well, I handled this when I was a kid and I was, you know, I was out in, in, in war and I handled that all right. And so it just carries over to everything they do. It's so true. But that can lead people to thinking like, oh, I need to go through this big rite of passage, which isn't necessarily true. There's, there's all kinds of people who are super confident who have not been through anything like that. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents, to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, so one of the first things I did, I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, 
and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. Yeah. I mean, you define confidence as the ability to take action without reservation. And I really like that, that definition because anybody, they can build up their confidence by taking part in little deprivations in their life, taking on challenges, and then following through on those challenges. And by doing that, you're going to build up that, you know, that good reputation with yourself, right? It's like a, it's a self, a sense of self-trust. And this really takes us to our next element of authority, which is discipline. So why is discipline important in developing authority and uh, how do we develop it? Okay. So Brett, if you and I were sitting in ATL, like the Atlanta airport, waiting on a flight or something, I could ask you with no, like, you're not some behavior profile or anything, but I could say, Brett, Spot someone across that's just standing over there, you know, across the gate from Mars, who is disciplined. You could do it. And most people could do it. And I think that discipline has an unusual way. And I'm the number one body language expert in the world somehow. And I still can't explain this articulately. But discipline has a way of coming up in our nonverbal communication that sends these little gut feelings to other people. Like that person is a disciplined person. And it makes us, when we see a disciplined person, obviously it's a little bit inspiring, but it makes us a little bit more likely to follow that person, who they are. So discipline definitely shows up. If I have off-camera discipline when nobody's looking, it shows up in my behavior and other people can almost feel it. Okay, so that basically comes down to keep a schedule, uh, manage your money right, keep your house clean, make your bed, like Jordan Peterson says. Like that's that's yeah. stuff you do. Yeah, and I say discipline is. I define discipline as the ability to prioritize the needs of your future self ahead of your own. So I am taking care of Chase tomorrow, and I'm prioritizing his needs over my own. So think of all the people. Or all the times, like when I was in college, like you'd stay up all night and you know you have exams tomorrow. You stay up all night drinking or whatever, and you wake up the next day and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. And you're mad at your past tense self because you didn't have concern for your future self. So 
If you want to start cultivating discipline into your life, start with small little things. And just my advice is always to become your own butler. And this is like, wouldn't it be great if you could wake up and everything was ready for you? Like you got up out of bed and your clothes are all laid out for the next day and everything's there. So you are your own butler. Your past tense self did all of that for you because they put your concerns ahead of their own. And then like I will, I continue to do this and I'll be in the kitchen with my wife, Michelle, and I'll be sticking, it's nighttime, right? I'm about to go to bed and I'll be sticking one of those little Keurig coffee cup pods into the coffee maker and sticking a coffee mug there ready for the next morning. And I will out loud, I'll say, man, Chase is going to love this. So I will continuously speak about my future self in a way that I am prioritizing his needs. And I will talk about him in the future and just getting a relationship to where you're looking forward in time with concern and look, getting to the point where you're looking backward in time at your past self with gratitude. All right. So developing discipline, that's going to make you naturally appear more competent and composed to other people. And I think also what it'll do too, as you do these things of, you know, being your own butler, working out, sticking to a schedule, managing your finances, that's also going to give you confidence, which is going to just supercharge that factor as well. That is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So true. And I think all these things do feed into each other. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. All right. So that's discipline. What about leadership? What do you mean by leadership? My definition when I do trainings on leadership is that leadership is having possession of innate, like, non-acting behaviors, your normal behavior produces following behavior in other people on its own. So what this means is if I'm in another culture where I don't speak the language, they would still follow some of my behaviors. They, I would still be effective to some degree as a leader because of how I behave and how I act. And I think if your behavior is producing what I call followership on its own, this means that you most likely have off-camera leadership. Like you're not one person at work who's all organized and everything, and you go back to your house and you're like, your bathroom counter is just covered in crap. You know, like you've got piles of laundry and dishes and stuff like that. But then when you go to work, everyone thinks that you're really well put together. That would more likely be the person in charge and not the leader, because those are two very, very different things. Okay, so the way you develop leadership is you work on that discipline, work on that confidence. So the next factor is gratitude. Why does gratitude contribute to our perception of authority? So if you look at the people that we naturally follow, that people talk about a lot, and the people that, like one of the people that if I'm giving training on leadership, 100% chance there's going to be a video of Andy Griffith on the screen. I believe that and this came to me from one of my commanders on deployment. If you screwed up on this deployment in the Middle East, he had every box set of the Andy Griffith show of every episode. And you had to pick a random season and a random episode and watch that episode and write a paper on how you learned a lesson to fix how you screwed up as a leader from that one episode. And the insane thing was, in every episode, there was something that applied to a leadership mistake, a leadership lesson. And one of those people, like if you look at the people like Andy Griffith or Bill Clinton or the people that we just naturally gravitate towards as mentors, as leaders, 
they all have a look of gratitude on their face. You can see that while you're communicating with these people. And I think gratitude has a very distinct way of showing itself in human behavior and on our face that other people don't consciously perceive. They're not saying, oh, that's a very grateful person. They just unconsciously perceive that level of gratitude, and it helps us to be more likely to follow a person's behavior. And I always teach that there's the two types of gratitude. If you just practice this regularly, and you don't have to like go to Michael's and build a, a crafty little gratitude journal or anything like that, but just low level and then high level gratitude. So like if you're eating a taco at Taco Bell, you're grateful for the employees that put it all together for you, but you're also grateful for the farmer who's supporting his family somewhere in the world who grew the lettuce that's in your taco. So it's like you're zooming in on gratitude and then zoom all the way out like on Google Earth, you know, to where you could see the entire picture. No, I think we've all encountered leaders who have that, who display gratitude to you. Like you'll you'll go to the ends of the earth for that person. Sometimes there's leaders who will, they'll bark at you and just, you know, get results. And in the short term that might work, but they're not going to have that long lasting influence because they didn't cultivate that gratitude. So, so true. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you mentioned Andy Griffith. That's a, that's a great, I'm going to look into that more about Andy Griffith as an example of authority and influence, right? Wasn't that, he only has like one gun, it's got one bullet and it's locked up, but he's able to manage the town be, with just that. No, Barney has Barney carries the gun. Andy okay, never yeah. does. <laughs> Andy never does. Right. He carries to Barney. Yeah. He carries Barney's bullet in his pocket. Yeah, um, that's right. That's right. And somebody asked him one time. They said, Sheriff Taylor, why is it that you don't carry a gun? And he said, Well, a lot of people uh, respect me around here, and if I started carrying a gun, I'd be worried that some of that respect might be fear, and I might be confusing the two. Uh. And it's just. Man, the show is just such a good masterclass in leadership, and it's it's funny. Yeah, it's super. It's funny. great. It's a good. Yeah, if you have there's a this barbershop I went to. They actually set up an old black and white TV, and they somehow fixed it so where they put in a, a fire Amazon Fire Stick, and they'd stream wow. Andy Griffith shows. And so you're just sitting there, get your haircut in old time barbershop, watching Andy Griffith, and just remember laughing out loud at Barney and his shenanigans. If I'm ever out in your town, I want to go there. Yeah, it's cool. Awesome. All right, so that's gratitude. Enjoyment is that fifth factor. Yeah. What do you mean by that? This is just that it's super simple. It's just a person's level of in the moment enjoyment. If you look at people that we nationally, culturally view as the natural leaders of the world. And then just imagine one of them taking their garbage out or imagine one of them mowing their yard or imagine one of them just doing a mundane task. You'd still imagine them with a tiny, tiny smile on their face, even if it's faint. And we all have this ability to detect another person's level of enjoyment. And I think it's the most magnetic human trait that draws people in and if we are able to stay in some kind of what I call calm enjoyment in my training, it's just I have the ability to just calmly enjoy these mundane tasks. That, I think, is the cornerstone of getting started as a leader, is being able to live in this calm enjoyment. Yeah, that makes sense. I think no one likes to be around a, a negative Nelly. Yeah. We're attracted to the guy who seems like he's having a good time. Always, yeah. So yeah, so we develop confidence, we develop discipline, we focus on developing our leadership, uh, our gratitude, 
and just learning how to enjoy even the smallest of things. As we do this, we'll naturally start displaying behaviors that will tell people that we, we have influence, we have authority. Yes. Yeah. So we'll start moving differently. We'll start talking differently. Maybe we even start dressing differently, correct? Yes. And I think some of those we'll, we'll do deliberately, right? But over time, if we're practicing measuring ourselves every day on confidence, discipline, leadership, gratitude, enjoyment, and then finally composure, over time, all those cool behaviors that you read about in articles and stuff like that, those become a byproduct of your new psychology, your new mindset of having authority in your life. And then it's not, you're not faking it because we're all manufacturing gut feelings in people every single conversation that we have. And if I want to manufacture good gut feelings in other people, then that stuff needs to be real. So I'm always asking the question, what can I do to make this a byproduct of everything? Like if I want authority, how do I make authority a byproduct? And that's by just monitoring that stuff every day. You don't have to be judgmental of yourself but just getting your lower brain aware of this stuff to begin with and dragging that stuff out into the light because most people don't really want to think about it. We're dragging it into the light and getting the brain super aware of it and it speeds up that development so fast. And then if you want to start implementing consciously some of these you know, body language or social skills you read about, as you do the inner work, the stuff you start actually consciously doing will actually have more effect, likely. So true, yeah. Right. So like as an example, a client of mine had trouble with posture. And, you know, when people have anxiety, we want to, our bellies are really soft, right? So when we talk about body language, somebody gets fearful. One of the things that happens with the body is the rib cage comes downward to protect all these soft organs that are in our belly, which makes our posture bad. So one client of mine had this issue and I put this kind of a kinesiology tape that like a phys physical therapist would use this stuff called KT tape. And it's just kind of like a two foot strip of like, I would say like mesh kind of tape made for the body. And I would stick it on his back in an X pattern in a way that if he started slouching, it would stretch the skin and it would instant. It's not painful or uncomfortable, but it instantly brings awareness to the fact that he's slouching. So little tricks like that. How can I remind myself regularly to be in composure and to be confident? And just as a, a, a quick tip, like how can I do this even in the car when nobody's looking? Adjust your rear view mirror in your car for next time you drive to where you have to sit up really straight to see out of your back window. So just angle it up just a little bit to remind you every time you look in that rearview mirror to sit up straight. Just small little things on a daily basis like that to start correcting those nonverbal behaviors does go a long way for sure. And again, I want to circle back. The reason why we're doing all this stuff, developing our authority, it just makes being influential and makes the social component of our lives just, it'll get you 90% there, right? Whether you're interacting with women or just making a sales pitch or your leadership position at work, just developing that inner authority will get you 90% of your influence. Absolutely. And it just makes your life better. Just yeah. being able to just relax because a lot of people are living off camera differently than they are on camera. And the moment that those two things start blending together and you're like, you can walk into work and know that the person I am here at work when I'm in charge of these employees or whatever is the same person I am at home, everything changes. Uh, in the books and in some of your interviews I 
that I listened to preparing for our conversation, you talked about some authority killers. Yeah. What are some authority killers? Like what are the most common ones you see in the people you work with? I will give you, I'll, I'll give you a few here. I think number one is rapid body movement. And as a body language expert, there's one thing that fear makes our bodies do is protecting arteries, but it makes our bodies speed up our head movement, our speech, our gestures, all of that speeds up, which is why I think that slowing down our bodies is one of the fastest ways to retrain the body to be more in composure. And complaining, I think, is one of the big ones. When we hear somebody complaining, we subconsciously make an agreement that they're probably not a leader. And I will not claim to have any like neuroscience to back this up, but think about the last time like you heard somebody complaining, there's something that goes on in the subconscious that says, wait, why, why was I paying attention to this person? It automatically usurps some of the authority. But I would say, overall, the biggest mistake that most people make is allowing the outside environment to determine who they are as a person and how they identify themselves. So, starting to just internalize their own feelings and not determine who they are based on how people react. So like I, I need X, Y, and Z to feel good about myself. That's one of the biggest. Yeah. There's a, I guess in family psychology, family therapy, they call it differentiation. You want to be well differentiated, right? So it's like yourself isn't dependent on the emotions and feelings of other people. And it's a hard thing to get. It's a continual thing you have to work on all the time. I um, do too. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you go through this, but like we've, we're about to hit a million subscribers on YouTube and I'll go through there and I'll read an, <laughs> I'll read a negative comment. And I will sometimes have a visceral reaction to it. Like my heart rate will go up. Yeah. And I was watching Eddie Murphy on an old interview and somebody said, oh, you have a new new movie coming out. I think it was Jay Leno. And he said, oh, the reviews are great. And Eddie, and Eddie said, oh, I don't read those reviews. And he said, no, but they're really good. And he said, yeah, but if you believe the good ones, that means you're going to believe the bad ones too. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't get easier. Never does. Yeah. So we've been talking about how we can develop our own charisma authority so that we can be more influential with others. What can we do to avoid being lulled into the charisma authority of potential bad actors, right? Like someone trying to recruit us to a, a cult or MLM or, you know, manipulative boss. Like what can we do to be on the lookout for that so we know we're like, we got we to gotta be careful with this person? I will tell you, like I published books on like hardcore interrogation tactics and stuff like that. And I'm a body language expert, a behavior expert. That still does not give me like a vaccine against being immune to that stuff. And when it comes to the charisma and authority, you're not going to really vaccinate yourself against it. But I would say the more that you learn about how the brain works and how it reacts to authority and just learn a little bit about the psychological aspect of it, like the bystander effect and the Milgram experiment. And the, there's another experiment called the smoke-filled room, where just a person sits because other people do in a room that's filling up with smoke and the smoke alarms are going off. They'll just sit there because other people are sitting there, at which are paid actors, right, for the experiment. But in the last experiment they did, 
it, the percentage of people that stayed in the room long enough to die was 100%. 100%. Just because 11 people stayed in the room and they didn't leave, they didn't care about the smoke, so that, that person stayed because the other people did. So just understanding those little psychological principles can help you break away because it's in your conscious awareness and now it's not unconscious. You're taking what the unconscious responses and making them very conscious. And the final thing I would say is pay very close attention to how you feel in that person's absence. So if you're around somebody there and you're like, wow, this is an incredible leader or we've got an incredible connection and I can't believe how awesome this person makes me feel. If the positive feelings go away when you're away from that person, something is off. You should still feel good about that interaction. It shouldn't be like you need that drug again because that person was probably using manipulative tactics on you. So they bumped you up with a lot of neurotransmitters. And you go away and those chemicals wear off because it wasn't emotional. It was chemical. They gave you a chemical high instead of this emotional feeling of actually feeling good. So pay attention. When that conversation ends with that person, do I still feel good about it? Do I still feel good? And if it's not good, that might be a red flag. Well, Chase, this has been a great conversation. We've literally scratched the surface of your work. Where can people go to learn more about what you do? You can just type Chase Hughes into the App Store, or you can uh, check us out on YouTube. I've got a pretty growing YouTube channel, and we've got another channel with a few other guys that we profile human behavior called the Behavior Panel, and it's the most fun time of my week, for sure. Fantastic. Well, Chase Hughes, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Brett, thanks, man. My guest today was Chase Hughes. He's the author of several books on behavior, including the Ellipsis Manual. It's available on Amazon.com. Also check out his website at chasehughes.com where you find more information about his work, including his course on authority. Also check out our show notes at awm.is slash authority where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic, including links to Chase's authority self-assessment matrix and his 34 behaviors that will kill your authority. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS to check out for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, it's Brett McKay reminding you to not only listen to the AOM Podcast, but put what you've heard into action. Mm-hmm.